Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. You will have to uh, subsist on only the two of us as Sahadev Sharma is somewhere between Los Angeles and Chicago in search of sleep and lost luggage. And uh, it sounds like it was quite an adventurous return trip for him from, uh, I guess, o- Oakland. Um, for the Cubs, uh, a much happier return trip, I-, I expect. I mean, maybe they lost some luggage on the way too, but I think probably easier to deal with when you're coming off a sweep and a 5-1 and one road trip overall. I think I remember would have been this podcast last week, so not Monday's episode, but last Thursday, we were talking about this trip in general and sort of how playing the Dodgers is always tough, how going West is always tough. And I think I would have said, and probably did, you could roll the tape, but I probably did say if they could split this road trip, I'd be pretty happy. Three and three, go, that's, that, that'd be good. And yet here they are coming back five and one, having beat the Dodgers, uh, came within a foot of sweeping the Dodgers and then swept the A's. And I think, you know, as good as it is to bank the wins, that's the most important thing, bank the wins. But you've got to wonder what the impact is of feeling like, you know, we we might be a pretty good team. And we could talk about the fan perspective on that, but I, I'm also just curious from a team perspective that they've got to be feeling pretty good right now about themselves. No doubt, Brad. I mean, I think like all this stuff matters, uh, particularly after last season in which... I think Jed Hoyer's phrase was like, we took hope off the table by early May, late April. And, you know, this team hasn't, I was just reading some of our coverage of the White Sox. Like imagine if the Cubs started the season the way the White Sox have. Uh, The calls of it's too early, we got a lot of time would have rung extremely hollow. And, you know, I do think they've set themselves up uh, to be able to weather that inevitable uh, down period. And I'm with you. I thought three and three road trip would be uh, pretty respectable. I even was talking to someone in baseball looking at kind of the Cubs schedule in April. And this individual was like, you know, the A's are the team you'd like to play later in the year. Like they're a bad team that that doesn't know how bad they are. But actually, I think everyone at this point now knows how like historically <laughs> bad the A's are. But at the beginning of April, that could have been one of those sort of like trap series. And uh, the Cubs avoided that. And so I think it'll be really interesting to like, well, you see the forecast for tonight first. But just the atmosphere at, at Wrigley for a four-game series against the Dodgers with a little momentum in their sails. Yeah, I think two things about that. One, had the Cubs not looked competitive against the Dodgers in L.A., that would have affected the tenor of team and fan expectations going into this series at Wrigley. It sort of would have been like, well, here comes the team again. Damn it, they're going to you know outclass us and whatever. Now it's more like now they come to our place and, you know, this there, there might be a certain level of competitiveness between the teams. Um, and then also... This, the sweep of the A's, which by the end of each game, none were particularly competitive. I mean, that middle game stayed tight for a while, but, you know, the A's put nothing together and the Cubs won it uh, later on. I think, you know, you mentioned a trap series, and I did think about that going into the series, about how in years past, even when the Cubs were very good, you just you worried about those teams that were bad and didn't 
either either like you said it's early and they don't realize how bad they are yet or they feel like well we're going to beat this good cubs team you know we're really going to step it up and we we would talk about like the cubs playing down to the level of the other team and yada yada well this cubs team isn't seen as like one of those really good 20 you know 15 16 17 18 cubs teams uh but you know what they did in this series exactly what a good team does which is not just that they won all three games it's that they they were the the team that you look at and you're like oh wow this A's team just can't keep up with the Cubs like they're just completely outclassed and and that is how it looked now to be fair that's probably going to be the case in a lot of series this year with the A's uh you know I was going to joke that the Cubs beat them so badly that they had to leave Oakland uh, of course, with the news dropping overnight that the A's have committed to purchase a tract of land in Las Vegas. And it sounds like they're now exclusively uh, looking at that as their plan going forward. But um, I do feel bad for A's fans because that was a team that was built to lose and save money and create create even more energy toward a move, I think. But again, that is what good teams do. They beat up on teams like that. You know, you, what does that say? You know, you play 50, 50 against the good teams. And if you just beat up on the bad teams, then it turns out by the end of the year, you're one of those teams that wins 90 games. And I'm not making that prediction. Now I'm just saying that as far as that one series went, I, I felt like the Cubs looked like what a good team looks like in a series like that. Well, Saad, I've mentioned it uh, the other day, like Jed Hoyer, this is what he goes to of, the measure of a good team is blowout wins. Like that is the most predictive measure from a front office perspective that, you know, if you're playing a ton of close games, you're probably going to be about 500. Like there's a couple of bounces here or there. Maybe you have one total outlier season and you're starting to see, that's what I was trying to look up here. I mean, you got about five blowout wins already and I haven't compared it to last year, but they're starting to, stack those up here and obviously there's a nice cumulative effect on that of like whether it's confidence or not having to burn your high leverage relievers all the time or giving opportunities to different players to allow them to kind of build into the season so like it's hard to think of a better start like this is not what we were talking about when the Cubs were Mason this is not what like we envisioned and of course the Cubs were saying how confident they were but there's a lot of question marks coming to the season and not saying anything's fully answered on April 20th, but like April 20th date check still in contention. Exactly. April 20th. But you know, date check. Uh, and I, and I'm curious, I want to kick it to you on this bread of like, I am in my like day to day existence, like having people kind of ask, you know, like, are the Cubs any good? Or like, is this team kind of fun? Like, should I, buy in and you know just kind of unprompted or i'm going to the game this you know game this weekend like i feel like there is this sort of curiosity and a cautious optimism definitely not full-throated enthusiasm but at least some of the like just all-out anger has dissipated and that you know the bar here if you for the Cubs running a business is like so low historically to get like 
fans engaged and that looking back on it, it's really like sad how they squandered some of those opportunities. But looking forward, which is what the point of my question, like how would you read kind of the mood in the room uh, right now? Yeah, I think you said it perfectly with curiosity. That's, I notice it in my, so there's, there's two main groups of fans that I would want to talk about. So there's obviously there's the hardcore folks who always could see, I count myself among these folks that were clear-eyed about what this season could be realistically, um, but did see that there was good process ongoing. Like I, I do still think regardless of this start, I would be saying the same thing, even if they were well under 500, I would say I can see what the progress is organizationally. And I can sort of see what the philosophy is. Um, uh, but obviously they are winning. And so I, I think about this two buckets of fans that that can reach. And that's what I'm starting to notice. One, as you mentioned there at the end, are the angry Cubs fans, the Cubs fans who felt like a lot of the goodwill was squandered from the past era and who have lots of... <clears throat> beefs with the organization some legitimate some not in my view um and they are harder to pull back in uh but they are getting that point i noticed this in some of my text threads with friends and stuff i'm not gonna won't name names but um i can tell from their responses to things and discussions i can tell they're paying attention i can tell that they are starting to ask and think about things that might be good um and that to me is is pretty significant. Uh, the second bucket are the more just general baseball fans. And that I thought, you know, it's interesting. And this was something that Michael Cerami wrote about before the season at Bleacher Nation is that what he was pining for, among other things, of course, we want the Cubs to be competitive, but as fans, we also want the Cubs to be relevant in the national conversation. Like it, it started to get really annoying, boring, um, it's a sinking feeling that anytime anything would come up nationally, the Cubs just aren't mentioned. And this is one of the major, you know, dual teams of Major League Baseball. So it's it's pretty bad when they don't get discussed at all. And then I noticed, of course, this morning, Ken Rosenthal has a fantastic piece about the vibe with the Cubs at, at The Athletic. Make sure you check that out. And and that makes me feel like n- not not national media, but national fans. Fans who are just like into baseball, like a hardcore Mets fan, but who's also into baseball. They're the ones who are right now going to start to be like, wait a minute, are the Cubs? Oh, are they kind of decent? And, and you start to maybe they'll dig in on, well, how are they doing this? And what's and, and that is where I get a lot of my joy as a Cubs fan, because I love having those conversations with fans of other teams. Just like, hey, I, because I I do the same thing you know, with other teams that pop up and are interesting. I'm sort of like, oh, how are the Rays doing what they're doing? And I, I'm just curious about that. And so I have definitely noticed it started with, it's almost like the moment of the Nelson Velasquez Grand Slam through this A's sweep. There has just been this swell of interest. And one week is not enough to change hearts and minds. It can go away as quickly as a sweep to the Dodgers at home. And I would guarantee that many of the angry fans would be very loud and angry again and there'd be some I told you so's and what have you by Sunday but I I just I perceive that interest percolating back up that curiosity like you said and it's a hesitation to buy in I even sense that still by the way among like I wouldn't describe myself as bought in on this year's team being this good you know I, I think um 
there are reasons to believe they can be an above 500 team. And I think that's been reinforced in the early going. Um, but to, to be quite this good, I'd need, I'd need to see a little bit more. And I think there are certainly spots that we could nitpick with the roster that are not doing as well. Um, but I tell you what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll turn it to you on that. It's kind of hard to, to, to point to, there's one glaring black hole uh, offensively, positionally speaking, but like, I don't know. Rotation's been great. Bullpen's been great. Defense has been, the metrics, by the way, are unkind to the defense. I don't quite see it myself. I see the defense as having been quite good. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, it's pretty hard to find the, oh, they're winning, but oh boy, it's actually pretty bad under the hood. You know, I think, you know, the Cubs are a very historic franchise, and we've been following this for a long time, so there are certain reference points that we have. So when the Cubs say how great their farm system is, we can be like, well, only a couple of years ago you had the number one farm system, then you won the world. Like, we know what it looks like when it's you know, going full throttle. And then we also remember, I mean, two years ago, we were all writing about who the Cubs might buy at the trade deadline, and just the bottom fell out. So, like, these are very recent, prominent examples uh, that are instructive. And now I do think, to your point, Brett, this team does have kind of a foundation underneath it in that I wouldn't anticipate an 11-game losing streak. That's also, like, really hard to do. Like, for even terrible (laughs) teams, like, it's really, really hard. hard. Um, But, you know, when you reference... Ken's piece, and Ken is uh, an amazing teammate and was texting Sahadev and I and is very inclusive with us and bouncing ideas off each other. And, you know, I thought it was a perfectly timed column. You know, it's kind of what I told Ken. Like, it, you couldn't have, like, <laughs> dropped this at a better moment. And that is something that players have talked about repeatedly, this idea that it's a closer-knit group with a lot of experience been there, done that experience, and that when the dips inevitably happen, because they always do, that this team is better equipped to handle it, both from a personnel standpoint uh, as well as a team chemistry standpoint. Now, it's up to them to kind of go out and prove that, but what you're saying, like, yeah, the offense has outperformed our expectations the solid the starting rotation is solid the defense is vastly improved and we generally like we said before trust uh the bullpen and you still have this layer of depth underneath at triple a iowa that uh not only could help you get through the injuries but could also be a really net positive as we get deeper into the season sure because you have that expectation that you're going to need it's funny, you you know you're going to need guys at some point, you know, starters, depth relievers, whatever. And it's funny, this year, I, I have to catch myself from being like, but I desperately want to see some of these guys. Like, I'm not rooting for injuries or, or performance issues on the big league team. You You want it, you want these 13 to just keep performing perfectly and sorry, but it's like, it is funny. You look up and down that Iowa roster and there are a lot of guys that I wish we could see but you know this is that's another thing where it's sort of like that's what good teams look like they have more useful players than they can actually use i wanted to mention uh one thing that i 
that I thought was important from this series, and that was Hayden Wisniewski's start. Um, still maybe not, and he was harder on himself, I think, afterwards than anyone else would be, but still maybe not quite where he wants the command to be, and maybe different lineup. Maybe he does the exact same performance against a different lineup, and they beat him up you know, early on, and he doesn't make it to those later innings when he really settled in and was looking good. Um, but what I thought was nice about it in addition to all of the, it can help with his development, its confidence, all that kind of stuff. What I liked is the Cubs have had, as, as I recall, only two really implosive starts this year. There was the Drew Smiley game in Cincinnati, a um, little bit of flukiness in there, but it was like, what, seven runs over five innings. Uh, and then there was obviously the Wesneski start last week that led to the Nelson Velasquez Grand Slam, but was really quite bad. Didn't get through two innings. What I like is both of those guys followed up their starts with really good outings. And we talk a lot about how the uh, your, your team's only as good as your next day starter. And, and you talk about it's really hard to have an 11-game losing streak. Performances like that are what give you confidence that those two little truisms are actually true. That it is going to be hard for this team to, right now, as constructed, it's going to be hard for them to lose a ton of games in a row because they have a group of starting pitchers that are, even if they have a down day, they're right back to being competitive, you know, after that. So uh, I was really heartened to see that. I think um, it's interesting to follow Kyle Hendricks rehab. We've talked about him a bit and he got to the point um, earlier this week, he threw in a, um, a minor league extended spring training game, a couple innings. I think he's going to throw, I believe I read, uh, apologies, I missed the report, but I believe it was he's going to throw three innings in his next extended spring training game. And that's about the, usually the point at which then you see a guy go out on a rehab assignment. And nothing would please me more if Hayden Wisniewski has two or three or four more really good outings. And then the Cubs have a tough thing to figure out when Hendricks is ready. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, I just, I'm excited that he had a good outing. I look forward to his next outing and I'm heartened that the rotation does that kind of thing right now. Yeah. I mean, you wrote it on Bleacher Nation the other day of like, you know, knock on wood, the Cubs are healthy and we'll see what happens. And certainly there are probably ways if they wanted to get creative with a, a six man rotation, looking at the innings jump that Justin Steele would have to take to be the guy that he wants to be is pretty substantial. He keeps pitching deep into games. Dang it, Justin, be careful. What are you doing? Exactly. And so um, he's obviously another uh, kind of underrated part of this. Like he's so kind of quiet and efficient uh, and his progress has been so incremental over the years that I think we're looking at him now and being like, wow, this guy's one of the better pitchers in the National League, what period. A, I have to cut, I have to jump in because that's such a great point that I hadn't thought of and hadn't crystallized that part of the reason he doesn't stand out maybe nationally too as being, he's been like the second best starting pitcher in baseball going back to June is because his progress has been so incremental through the minors and then sort of starting as a reliever in the big leagues, some success, some not, and then going back down and then coming back up as a starter and not really having success, but getting a little bit better. Per- perfectly put, he's he's a great case of just like getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Yeah, another writer had made this point a couple of years ago uh, as a 
skeptical analysis of the Cubs pitching infrastructure. I think there's some weight to it of like, when you think about great young pitchers, it's Doc Gooden or Kerry Wood just like bursting upon the scene. Like they're, and this is not at all uh, statistically. Mason Miller, who the yeah, Cubs saw. Yeah, nothing guy. statistically based, but like I'd be curious to know like how many pitchers have had that kind of Justin Steele path to where it has been so incremental and to reach the ceiling that he's approaching right now. Because you think of just like the now stuff that pops and then the guy gets injured and they try to come back. I mean, even Kyle Hendricks, when he came up, like he was locked in. Like he knew – uh, what he was doing, uh, he had amazing composure, and Justin Steele, you know, I'm told has learned a lot from Kyle uh, over the years, and so, you know, these are good problems to have. These are problems that good teams have, and the Cubs, I think, are reaching that stage where uh, they've at least given themselves a cushion uh, for when some of these bad things happen, but. Otherwise, just kind of looking up and down, like looking at the Mets rotation, how old and creaky that looks right now and struggling to adjust. Yes, struggling to adjust to the rule changes. The Cubs don't seem to have that. They seem to have adapted pretty well to the new rules changes. They've stayed uh, extremely healthy. We talked about this last week. Their division, while surprising in how it's kind of laid out thus far, it doesn't have the Tampa Bay Rays or team spending like the Yankees and like, you know, once you get through this section of the schedule, it eases up a bit. And then, uh, you know, we'll see the next time they go out to California. I think that'll be another interesting uh, check too of San Diego, Anaheim and, and San Francisco. That's past Memorial Day. That's the point where there is enough kind of data to start making some judgments and picking some lanes and maybe making some of those calls uh, to Iowa as needed. Yeah. And allocating scouting resources on the buy or sell side. And um, you know, that's a good point. And that is sort of the mental cutoff for a lot of these conversations is that sort of late May is when the schedule is finally starts to turn. I mean, that's another reason, by the way, that it was so great that the Cubs swept the A's because this is one of the very few soft pockets in their schedule until after May. Um, and they've built up a nice little buffer. And I think we'll, I, I'm going to work hard to keep that in mind just if, if they can, you know, float around 500 through May and they still don't give us, you know, tremendous reasons for pause like things don't start to emerge where we're like oh okay that was that was fake or that was um smoke and mirrors i you know i'm gonna feel pretty good and i, and I have a feeling the organization will too because for all of the uh, comfort that some developed with the idea that the, oh they're in sell mode they're in sell mode they're in sell mode I truly believe they do not want to sell this year. I mean, they really, I think, I think the Ian Happ extension was just sort of an exclamation point on this idea that they're not looking to just curate tradable assets right now. They they want to establish a baseline of competitiveness this year, even if they didn't see this year as like a all out, you know, we're really going for it year. I think the years ahead, they do want to see it that way and it's got to start somewhere. And so I think... That's why I talk a lot about just be competitive through the trade deadline. And I'm not saying 
I don't mean and then fall <laughs> and then lose 11 no, games in a row <laughs> and then lose yeah like no <laughs> I just mean uh, for me as a fan and so I suspect for lots of other fans we just want to feel like the Cubs are still in that conversation in July like you know when when Shohei Otani hits the trade market as a rental which he might um it would be nice if the Cubs are at least in a position at that point to like huh, well, what if the Cubs went after him and how pricey would that be is for just two months of Otani? And then what happens? Like, it just would be nice to have those conversations and not have it be like, a, you know, you're saying it out of one side of your mouth and the other you're like, but yeah, right. Um, that's, I, I yes, I look ahead to that. I think that I think that's crazy. I, I don't see a scenario in which... Wait, Jed, which part? Jed... Which, which part? Trading for Trades Otani. for a rent. Oh no! Oh, I'm so glad you said that because now we have we have teed up two or three more months of being able to dig into that. I do think, um, I actually think there is a pretty decent chance that they would uh, potentially pursue, depending on. I mean, there's a ton that could change between now and then, but I have um, a feeling that potentially the Cubs will have the kind of system pieces that you'd be able to put together the right offer for a rental Otani. Um, but a whole lot is going to have to go in a very specific direction between now and July for that to actually come to come to fruition. But not, not the least of which is they're going to have to know from ownership that they're going to be able to make a very serious um, effort to extend him after that. Cause I, cause as I think you were suggesting, I don't see I don't necessarily see them spending the capital that would be necessary just for two months of him knowing. Yeah. But then we're bowing out after that. Cause that, that would probably not be a, a great approach. Yeah. I that's mean, my olive sir, branch moon. Take it, take it, grab it. Grab I think it. That's we, my effort we to, sort of, sort of agree here that it almost certainly won't happen. <laughs> and that I wouldn't bet. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, giving it great odds I, as of today. I think what, I'm interested to see is like the Cubs for so many years have followed the Red Sox as you know for ideas and inspiration and uh, personnel and the absolute worst scenario from this is what a Cubs person explained to me was what the Red Sox did last year of they went over the luxury tax they weren't quite buyers they weren't quite sellers they immediately did tank in August after making uh, some of those moves. It was just kind of like a wasted season. And, you know, I would... Jed Hoyer has clearly shown that he would sell tomorrow if he thought that was the best thing for the Cubs' long-term future. I have absolutely no doubt about that, but I agree with you in that I don't think he wants to. I think it would be a really hard conversation to have with ownership of this is what we're doing. And as much as Tom Ricketts takes the long-term view and lets his baseball people do make baseball decisions, I do think that's a much harder thing to say now unless the Cubs make it really clear. And I think what we're talking about here is is Bellinger, if he keeps playing this way. Uh, we're talking about Stroman because everyone should be assuming that he's going to opt out. There's no reason to think that he's going to opt in for next season as long as he's healthy. The annual bullpen sell-off, 
Um, and then you have basically what they did with Efros uh, and Wisniewski last year. Like there are moves that could be made that are not as uh, dramatically defined as buyer or seller that you can you know trade from a strength to improve a weakness uh, and have both teams kind of have an eye on the future. So, I mean, that is the fascinating conversation. Like that is kind of where this season ultimately will be defined, even though this has been a nice start and certainly given them some positive momentum. Like, you know, they will uh, show us with their actions more than, than tell us how good things are going. Yeah. And like we said, the next six weeks or so are going to be probably disproportionately important to the conversation that will come a month later, you know, because they've got to stay afloat through this tougher part of the schedule. Um, Speaking of which, back to a tough part of the schedule this weekend at Wrigley, the Dodgers come in for four um, and the Cubs will look to continue to perform at a competitive level. And, you know, I, I would just say again, going into the series, I just, I'd like to see them look competitive. You know, it worked before for me to say that. And so I'll just say that again. No, no other expectations specifically on the outcome of this series. Uh, this is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. You can get his at the athletic. And after that Dodger series, we will be back at you on Monday for your latest look at the Cubs. Take care folks. Take care folks.